0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term Show, I sit down and catch up with Andy Tran. Andy is a fantastic guy. He runs Suite Editions, and the website is sweeteditions.com. He's basically been helping people with ADUs or accessory dwelling units, uh, second suites, garage conversions, laneway housing, whatever you want to call it, for a very long time. Now, one of the first people that we've come across that's really done it in a professional manner, so he sits down and does the design and walks people through that process of adding an ADU. ADU to one of the properties that they own, either their primary place of residence or one of the investment properties that you may own. And he's done a fantastic job of it. Lately, he's been doing garage conversions. And we dive into that a little bit here. Whereas in the past, it was a lot of second suites where he was legally converting a basement into a legal second suite. And now garage conversions have really taken off kind of in line with some of the um, laneway housing that we've heard going around. So we're just going to see this as a trend pick up more and more. So we get all these wonderful updates from Andy on what he's doing in that space and what he's seeing. And we just catch up also on life with how he's handling things going into 2024. Somehow we go down an artificial intelligence rabbit hole towards the end of this episode, which I really enjoy. I think I probably feel very comfortable chatting with Andy. And that's why we dove into that world of uh, artificial intelligence and what it possibly could mean for all of us. So we talk about all these wonderful subjects and Andy has been a Rockstar Inner Circle member. He's also been one of the instructors and teaches the second suite and garage conversions class here at Rockstar as part of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. So if you want to meet fantastic people like him, not only is he a member, he's one of the instructors here that does teach these classes. You can yourself become a Rockstar Inner Circle member and you can check out all the benefits of doing so by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's enough with this intro, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms?
1: Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show, with Tom and Nick
0: Caradza. You ready? Let's go. So, um, we are with Andy Tran, and Andy has. Uh, I think you know what I just. I'll never forget the impact that you had on me. We were doing an event, Andy, and you don't know this, and I remember I had read some of your stuff that you had on the internet. Or that sounds so crazy. Some <laughs> stuff that you had on the internet. internet. Good stuff about real estate. Like internet. it was about. Yeah. What's this thing called the internet? And. Uh, You know, you're very capable and very articulate in the way you communicate some of your thoughts on real estate. And I remember, I think you were at one of our earlier Your Life, Your Terms events. And I remember thinking, wow, like we better put on a freaking good thing here today because this guy, Andy's here. And I know he knows what he's talking about. And I think I thought, why the hell is he here? We, you know, I don't know what we can teach this guy. So it was almost like a compliment that you were take the, t- you would take the time on a Saturday to come to our event. So thank you for supporting us for so long, man. Like it has been a long time you've supported us. And it just really means a lot without, uh, sometimes when you start a business, you doubt yourself. And then when you see good people around, it kind of gives you a little bit of motivation or a little bit of, you know, I don't know, pat on the back or a little bit of weird approval that you need to keep going. And you had that impact on me. So thank you. Appreciate my, my
1: pleasure. But were you guys talking about Second Suites or something like that? And, no. And I was stand, sitting in the front row and you're like staring at me. And
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> second Suites wasn't even thinking. Bring the mic here. Let me hold up. i to move this here I this way. Yeah. No, second suites back then wasn't even a thing. Like people weren't even talking about second wow, suites. Wow, was this like so 2009? That was, probably, was it like 2009? No, I think it was still the rent to own era. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't uh yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't second suites. There's different eras in real estate investing. It, it was rent like 2011 rent, or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe something like that. But I remember rent to own was like that's all we talked about for a few years. And then after that, I guess it went to it went kind of to straight rentals for a little while because interest rates came down. And then it went to like it wasn't even second suites. I don't know if it was but was that the entrance of Burr into the market? I, I forget. And then second suites, and now the last couple of years, it's been a lot of student rentals, just because the amount of rent that you can generate on a student rental property. Yeah. So it's like every two years, there's like a new theme in real estate and someone thinks they've rediscovered like something that we've been doing, not us, but that has been done in real estate investing for a million years already, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, if you're new, if you're like 25 and the student rental era hasn't been discussed or wasn't popular uh, for the last 10 years, then you think you just discovered student rentals, you know?
1: Yeah, so yeah it's w- crazy how like it just kind of evolved. You know, when you say rent-to-own, I'm just thinking, you know, the first, <laughs> okay. okay, so the first. Yeah, how much fun have we got made <laughs> up for rent-to-own? Hey, it was good. So 2010 was when I first, uh, I bought my first uh, single-family property. You know, you guys talked a lot about getting that nice house and, you know, single-family home in a nice neighborhood. So 2010, I bought that house. I did the rent-to-own strategy. I went to the seminar with Mike Desormo.
0: <laughs> and
1: dude, it was. I'm, Am I, I tell- too loud I'm in your town- ear, by the way? No, I it's didn't good. ask you. It's good. Okay. Okay. Um, Looking at the numbers, it was just ridiculous when you compare it to the numbers now, but it's just kind of like slowly evolves and you don't even notice it. It's like a boiling frog, right? It was 1500 bucks for rent for the entire house, so no yeah, basement yeah, suite. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was able to give them 200 bucks a month towards their down payment if they buy the house two or three years down the road. And I was cash flowing like 250 bucks. <laughs> I know. Like those numbers are. It, it seems it's like you know when you're a kid and they tell you like you know back in the day they people buy a Coke for ten cents. Like that's how I feel like when we're talking about that right now.
0: <laughs> when I, I remember on the, the one of the first rent to owns we did, it was the it was right around the time where. He's since passed away, but late finance minister of Canada, Jim Flaherty, temporarily approved in the country, 0% down and 5% down mortgages for investors through CMHC. I remember that. So we could buy in Hamilton for 210000 a fully detached home. We could put down 5%. So it was like, you know, 10500 bucks, $11,000 or whatever it was. We were asking for the seller on paper to pay for our closing costs. So we were asking on the Schedule A, like all written open for everybody to see, for the banks to see, to everyone, for everyone to see. We were asking the seller, can you pay for our legal fees at closing and our closing costs? And we would get them to agree to that. Then we would do a rent to own on the property after putting down eleven or 12000 total out of pocket. And we would get like $15,000 as the upfront option fee and first and last month's rent. And Nick and I couldn't understand what was happening. We're like, wait a second, what is happening here? Like, we're getting more back within 60 days of closing on this property than we used to actually purchase the property. And instead of like going and trying to do a hundred of them, I think it paused us a little bit. We're like, are we doing some, is there something wrong? Like what's happening? <laughs> why, is it, is, why isn't Why is everybody doing this? I don't understand. And you were helping these amazing families who had good income, but for whatever reason had bad credit. And they're like, listen, I can afford to buy this house at the end of this rent to own period. I just don't have the credit for the banks to get me the mortgage. So you're actually helping me out because I want my kids to be in this area. So it was like this weird brief moment where it was win, win, win on all sides. And I remember when we sold some of those properties like for 200 and I think we sold some like... 260,000 or something. Yeah. And the profit for us in the end, we thought where well, it was like a jackpot, like we had hit the home run now. Looking, 15K or something. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like if it was 21K, it was like huge. You never know, we like, oh my gosh, we are the <laughs> smartest. We are the smartest real estate investors in all of Canada. <laughs> Meanwhile, If all we did was keep those properties, those properties now are all like eight, 850, nine oh, nine nine fifty, 59, nine, nine, nine 50. Right. Yeah, yeah. So looking back, it's kind of laughable, but, uh, Yeah, it's weird how real estate investing works. And it's weird to also hear people call the death of real estate because every generation has that moment where they're like, oh, real estate investing's over. You know, interest rates and prices doesn't work anymore. On our team, it was 234,000. I'll never forget, JP on our team walked in one day and he said, Tom, well, it's been a good run, but I guess now, you know, we're gonna have to go from 234,000 to 239,000 for these single family homes. It's uh, it's just not going to work anymore. The numbers just aren't there. You know, Garth Turner. Yeah, oh my gosh, I
1: forgot. So about I Garth read Turner. his book yeah. in like. You re- 2000- I read his books too. I read his book in like 2007, and I said, "Oh man, this market it's going to crash. Like it's going to crash." So I bought a, I bought a pre construction condo in 2006. That was my first first investment. 2006. I read Garth Turner's book in 07, and I said, "Oh shit." I was like, I, you know, I got, I got to go, I got, I got to go into index funds or whatever immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I got screwed 2000, 2008, yeah, great, great financial, financial crisis. crisis. Yeah, yeah. And then that's when I was like, okay, you know what? I need to get educated. I need to figure out what's going on. And then obviously, it made sense, right? Going back into hard assets and knowing what's coming with the,
0: yeah. all the money printing and all that. Yeah. I remember reading his stuff. I think he was calling for the death of the real estate market in the early 2000. I feel like I was reading his stuff like for years. Yeah. Um, and I had the same moment where you realize, oh my gosh, I actually have to figure this out on my own. I can't listen to people who are telling me what to do. Yeah. So for you is a great financial crisis. That was that was the pain moment for me to really because you were invested in US stocks. So. No, it was it was
1: this thing called Okay, I subscribed to this thing called the uh, uh, I think it's still around Money Sense magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. So I read it Forgot- like religiously for from like 2004 to like 2008, right? I was like this is this is the magazine. This is like I'm ahead of everyone because no one's understanding the financial system better than me, right? Cuz I'm reading this Money Sense magazine and they kept talking about this couch potato strategy which is you invest in index funds, you invest in the broader stock market, and over time, it's gonna, you're gonna do well, right? But they don't talk about the actual long-term debt cycle. They talk about kind of business cycles every four years, five years, and it's true. Like if you actually just invested in, in the stock market for this number of years, you're gonna do well, but you're really just kind of barely going above inflation the kind of stuff that you guys talk about with M two money supply. Yeah. So when it all came crashing down in two thousand eight, I'm like, okay, it's, this is not supposed to happen. Like, even though it kind of bounced back, I you know I started digging in. I'm looking at the reason why it bounced back. Mm. You kind of get deeper into, okay, what is this thing called the central bank and how does it work? Oh, they. buy bonds from the government so the government doesn't print the money we all there's so
0: many of us that went down that path together yeah i think you mentioned before we started recording mike maloney's videos that had a big impact on me yeah yeah because i was like what is this this goal this gold thing what how does this work and like oh my gosh this is like you know, how does Lynn Alden refer to gold? This is nature's ledger. Yeah. You no, know, yeah, it's yeah, not like a yeah, credit based kind of man made ledger. This is nature's ledger. And uh, that's when I went down into the gold world. So, is that, did you become a gold bug in that era as well? Yeah, I did. You did? So
1: I, okay. So, I went to one, I, I went to the Rockstar event in like 2010. When you oh, guys had shit. it, where did you guys have it? Um, oh, So, anyways, you were on stage okay. talking and you're like, I don't really want to talk about gold because if I talk about gold, people are going to just like, there's going to be all these weird conversations. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> it was like my second Rockstar event. And I'm like, but I was kind of nervous. So I was like, oh, I want to talk to him, but I'm kind of
0: nervous. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. Had a about. good run. Had a good run till like 2012. <laughs> then it kind of stopped. Oh, yeah. 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 It reached all time highs. And I think around there. And then it like just didn't, didn't do anything. I think now it's yeah, about yeah. to crush through that again. We're right back to where that was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a lesson.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that what drove you then into real? Like, what was the? Because then now, obviously, looking at you now with everything you've done in real estate, um, I want to talk to you about garage conversions in a second. But with legal second suites and just your knowledge of real estate, how did that come to be? Can you remind me? Was it was at that era that you just started picking up books and trying to figure out how real estate could help you.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it a whole bunch of things came together where I said this is kind of the right path for me right like I was I was you know learning about you know the whole macro thing kind of what we just discussed and I was looking at okay what can I do that's in line with this that matches up with my skill set so at the time I was actually a home inspector and I, you know, funny thing is I went to school for architecture. I didn't really learn anything. Even though I went to architecture school, I didn't really learn anything about houses. It wasn't until I was an inspector and I'm looking at, I'm going to houses, I'm looking at furnaces, I'm looking at, you know, going to the attics, looking at insulation. I'm like, okay, this is how it actually works. This is how a house actually works. And so when I was doing inspections, I was doing like, you know, energy audits and all that. And then having gone through that whole great financial crisis. And and, and then digging in, I said, okay, well, it seems like hard assets like houses make sense. And because now I have this understanding of how houses work, how can I combine it? You know, how can I use my skill sets to benefit myself from an investment standpoint and then figuring out ways, you know, how can I incorporate this into, you know, my, uh, into a business, into a way to make a living. And so, it took several years. I was still working. I was uh, working in the, in the education department of, of Carson Dunlop, the, uh, the home inspection company. Mm-hmm. Um, I was teaching home inspectors. I was you know, putting together educational material. And it wasn't until like 2015 that I kind of like, okay, let me just start this business and be a consultant and figure it out. Because people are asking me all the time mm-hmm. like, you know, is this basement legal? Can I rent it out? And I would always just say, you know, ask your lawyer, ask your realtor. <laughs> they were, never, they were ne- never able to get the answers, call the city. And so, uh, cause I went through it, you know, on my own in 2010, 2011 on my own house, I kinda knew the process and I said, okay, if I, basically if I'm scratching my own itch and I'm making it work for myself, there's gotta be other people that also need it. And so it kinda worked out, right? So mid 20 teens, that's when I started the business, 2015, Got it. and it's been pretty much in line with the whole, you know, what we talk about with hard assets, but also at the same time, you know, forcing appreciation, forcing value increases onto a property as well.
0: Yeah, you wow, you took the ball and you kind of ran with it because I, I think I remember at one of the last events, I just remember seeing you at the at the table there outside, and people were just swarming you. Um, I, I wonder, just going forward, it's just going to be. I, th- I feel like the opportunity going forward is is really just maximizing the land that you have. Whereas before it was just like, oh, yeah, you got a home, let's rent it out and see what we can do. But then there has been this movement to legalizing second suites. Yep. And now you're just telling me that the second suite isn't what I used to just expect, which was a basement that people are doing. Can I use the language second suite as a garage conversion? Is that considered a second suite when you're converting a garage into how's this municipality or is it different by municipality? Because that's what you're doing now, right? You're working with people yeah, yeah, converting yeah. some garages into two-bedroom units.
1: Yes, yes. So um, the way these things are defined is sort of like the bane of my existence Yeah. right now. like is, There's yeah. a million different names for them. There's actually, technically, I think there's like 75 different names for these things. And uh, they all kind of get used interchangeably. And so... The the kind of official term, the term that they use in in U.S. urban planning, is ADUs, addition, mm, uh, accessory okay. dwelling units, and they could be in the basement, they could be on you know attached to the house, they could be detached. Um, here in Canada, we really just kind of refer to them as secondary suites or second suites, and most of them were basements, right? But now there's all these changes happening, you know, at the uh, you know at the provincial level at the municipal level to create even more density, right? To add. These garden suites in the people's backyards to turn single-family homes into multiplexes, mm-hmm. and so you know that was kind of the natural progression of second suites. It's like at first, you know, we were able to get single-family homes to work in like you know 2010, and then slowly didn't work anymore. And it was since 2015, it's always been man- it's it's almost been mandatory that you had to put in the second unit, and then at the last couple years, it's been well, you know, even that is getting tight, the cash flow. So it's like okay, you got to get more creative, like three units, four units. And then at the same time, I would say probably four or five years ago, I kinda went into this rabbit hole of urban planning and understanding how, how that works. And understanding that like, you know, the the issues we have here in, in, in GTA and in really North American cities is this suburban sprawl that is actually financially non sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so intensification is really not just about um, you know, you hear a lot on the news about you know, environmental is- issues and and a lot of things, but densification is actually a requirement for financial feasibility within the city's balance sheets. So I kind of went into that rabbit hole. And then again, everything kind of lined up and it made sense from a policy perspective. And also financially, it made sense for, for homeowners investors to be able to do these.
0: It's funny because nobody really wants to densify in North America, almost in any city. But then when you travel to Europe and you go to some of the f- my favorite cities they're awesome because there's like a bar on every corner, a cafe on every corner, a bakery on every corner. And that actually only works because of the density in those areas, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I love going to those cities so much, but I guess recently in Barcelona and I mean, you're walking through these areas and it's amazing and we can't get that because of the urban sprawl here. It just doesn't make sense. You know, with a suburbia, you're not going to put a bakery on every corner because there's not enough customers. Mm-hmm. So part of the way of life that I, Particularly enjoy is solved with densification. But if you ask people to densify an area, they're just going to fight tooth and nail. No one's going to, nobody wants the sixplex next to them, the triplex next to them. So we're in this weird state here in North America where it's like, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to transition from this urban sprawl to more density unless it's just. Rammed through. Isn't Toronto doing as of right six plexes? This is that approved now this it, year? It
1: depends on the uh, it depends on the area. So if you're if you're uh, any pretty much any single family area, like they call them neighborhoods or loosely the yellow belt in Toronto. Um, the as of right uh, policy is that you can convert your single family to four units plus do a uh, a, a garden suite or a laneway suite on any any single family neighbor um, lot, right? Uh, if you're in, in sort of the, the corridors, like the higher density, close to transit, um, I, I believe it's higher, much higher. That's, mm-hmm. that's part of the...
0: Um, so maybe this comes into yeah. Toronto over the next few years. What are you seeing with investors? Um, are they approached to do some of these garage conversions that you're doing? That's rather interesting to me because the structure is already there. Absolutely. So is the investor then, I mean, this just seems like a jackpot for an investor. So uh, can you describe some of the projects that you're currently on? Like what's what's the kind of lot, What is it? what What are you doing with these garage conversions?
1: Yeah, so if there's an existing... I'm going to push the mic Sure, more. yeah. yeah. So if there's an existing detached structure, most of the time it's a garage, but it could be, you know, like a big workshop or a big shed or something like that. Um, when they were built, they w- did not comply with the I'm going to change you one more time. Come yeah?
0: on this way because the camera's... Over here. There we go. All there right. we go. All right, let's, there we proper. go. There <laughs> we go. Now we got Andy. Now we got Andy. Okay. Go ahead. So yeah, the a garage conversion looks like what? So it's a it's an existing structure. So when these were built as garages,
1: they they weren't subject to the same building code requirements as if you were build a small house. And so what that means is um, usually the foundation it may not be as. Um, you know, the integrity of it may not be as robust as, say, you know, for a home. So in these situations, we would need to get an engineer to ensure that the slab is in good condition. You know, there's good frost protection. The structure is in good condition. So if the engineer signs off on it and provides, uh, you know, uh, some sort of a uh, prescription for what needs to be done to bring it up to a certain standard, we can then do the conversion. And that's what the cities will accept. So, you know, today we've done over a dozen garage conversions. Anything from studio apartments on a single car garage to you know two bedrooms from a two car garage, and you know these things will rent anywhere between fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars a month, and they're they're nice because you have that separation from the main house. Right? It's so more private. Like private. Yeah, it's private, um, and the great thing about them is that you're now saving on the foundation. You're saving on the structure, which you know these days could be a hundred
0: grand. Is that the foundation generally okay or does that require some work? Because you're just talking about a slab. Yeah, yeah. So there's and a... in, in Canada, that's okay. It's deep enough to withstand any f- changes or any frost. I don't know. Is there like a frost line? Is there a depth yes. that we need to? So, how's that handled? Usually the way that's handled is now, if, if that structure has been here, been
1: there for a number of years, okay. that's an indication as to how well it's holding up, right? So a lot of times the, the engineer will say, okay, well, we need to dig down. We need to add some underpinning or we need to uh, ensure that, uh, you know, there's going to be some reinforcement. Uh, sometimes portions of it have to be repaired. Um, and sometimes, you know, we just have to kind of do it new, like, or, you know, a big portion of it or mm, all of it, it, right? Okay. Uh, so... But if it's if there's an indication that it's been there for let's say 10, 20, 30 years and it's still in good condition. So for the engineer, they feel comfortable that, you know, all you're doing right now is you're insulating it and you know it's not going to be a safety concern. That's really their the number one concern, is it going to be a safety concern, right? So if you're if you're putting in this additional unit, you're also heating the space. So it actually improves the mm, condition got it. of it. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh you are also, you know, you're required to do everything else, right? You're required to kind of get it insulated. Uh, make sure that the most important thing is making sure that the walls and the structure is also, you know, level and plumb so that there's not going to be any, any issues later on. Uh, making sure there's no water that gets underneath the slab that can cause frost heaving. That's a big concern as well. So there's a number of things that, you know, we have to prescribe where the engineer has to has to prescribe for the city to be okay with that structure now being converted from something that stored vehicles to now something that's going yeah, to hold it. occupants.
0: Because now you're gonna have to run gas lines, I guess, because you're dropping in a new furnace, I guess, here, because you're outside the main house. Yeah, you, so so we'll bring in utility services. Uh, for sure, you have to bring in
1: electrical and, and plumbing and drains, right? Gas, um, in a lot of these conversions, these garage conversions, we're just using like heat pumps, so electricity. So if we're able to get 100-amp service oh. from the main house to that garage, then we, we're usually able to get away with just putting a heat pump for uh, for the heating. Oh, wow. Right, And then maybe some electrical heat, um, like baseboards as a supplementary heating. So it doesn't take a lot. I mean, these things are going to be very well insulated, right?
0: Hmm. So if someone's fortunate enough to have a property with a decent garage on it, they're saving a lot of cost already because mm-hmm. converting that existing garage to an actual legal... ADU, you know, garage conversion, whatever, we're naming these things, it's much less than building the structure from scratch, no? Yeah, absolutely. And is that what
1: you're finding? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's like utilize what's there existing first before, you know, considering doing new construction. New construction is very expensive.
0: And is there some parts of Toronto that are more inclined to do this than others? Are there some municipalities that are really pushing for this or is it just new to everybody and it's possible everywhere?
1: It's pretty much possible. Uh, I mean, the province has mandated with Bill 23 that every house has, every property uh, is, is required to allow a detached unit, right? So if it's, a, if it's an existing garage, you, oftentimes you get it grandfathered in with some of the bylaws, like the setbacks, okay. the separations between the, the, the ADU and the house. Uh, whereas if you're building new, you have to comply with everything, right? So from a homeowner investor standpoint, mm-hmm. that's why yeah. it's, it's also easier as well. Uh, and, you know, from the city standpoint, I mean, it, all cities, they want more housing, right? Like they,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in general, from the high level housing and planning committee, they encourage these, they want these. But then obviously there's bottlenecks with, you know, building departments and ensuring that you're complying with the code and all that sort of stuff,
0: right? So typical with with every municipality. And who's your client right now? Is it an investor saying, hey, I've, I see this opportunity on one of my properties, or is it a homeowner who's like, holy shit, I have this garage and I want to convert it.
1: Uh, Both. I mean, for me personally, a lot of our investors, just because that happens to be my Mm. network, you know, with you guys Mm. and and with other investors that I connect with, but both. Like I have people that say, hey, you know what? My mom's living in uh, the main house right now. You know, she's in her 70s. At some point, stairs are going to be an issue for her. And, you know, she doesn't want to move out of the neighborhood. Let's convert this two-car garage that we have that's being just stored with stuff that we're not using. Get rid of that. You know she can live there and then she can rent out her main house or rent it out to her kids or whatever so uh it it works it works for investors from a number standpoint to get the
0: cash flow and then also you know family dynamics it works well and are there limitations i've seen some two stories i've seen some with basements um can you make any of these adus Is, is is that jurisdiction or municipality dependent or how would you know if you can put a two-story or a basement option on one of these things?
1: Yeah, usually with two stories, it's, it's a, uh, a municipal bylaw. So they'll have a height restriction. So they'll say something like, you know, these ADUs have to be uh, three meters or six meters. Then you'll okay, kind of it. know if it's going to allow you to do two stories. And so, basement? Yeah, basements usually aren't a problem right really? uh, yeah so we've had people put in basements we've had people put in basements as a provision for potentially down the road that they'll even allow a, a second unit within the ADU oh, so shit. that's interesting as well right so so one ADU is actually legally two ADUs well right now not legally two not ADUs, but, so, in but in the future possibly because possibly, they they're doing that in Alberta so they're allowing people to build laneway houses and people are putting in second units within their laneway houses legally.
0: In anticipation that it's, no oh, they're they, doing it legally yeah, now. They're doing so legally. you're saying people are kind of setting themselves up here in case that's legalized. I think it, well. I think that's the direction we're headed because construction
1: costs are very high. So the more units you can get into a project, the lower the cost is going to be on a square per square foot basis, right? Mm-hmm. So if cities want to encourage and want more people to build these, the numbers have to make sense, whether it's a homeowner or whether sure. it's an investor. Yeah, yeah. By them allowing these new construction ADUs to have second units, it's going to make a lot more sense for people to build them because they were going to be able to finance them with additional
0: rent. And from right. what you've seen on contractors, are contractors just adapting to this new re- reality? It's just like another job for them, so it doesn't really matter? is like, there any hiccups with contractors in this front? Or no, it's really just the same construction.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit trickier because it's on a tighter site, right? So you have to get equipment in there, um, you know, utility services, you have to connect everything to the main house. So it's, you know, it's not not that straightforward. Like for a lot of builders, they're very much used to, you know, empty piece of land, you know, doing Mm -hmm. a road cut connecting services directly to to the city. Now you have to, you know, figure a way to navigate some of the existing services of the house, making sure the house itself, the original house itself has adequate services. So it, it does become tricky, but I think in, uh, contractors and builders that uh, you know, specialize in this and are able to do these, I think the opportunities are huge.
0: And, and is, where are we with the modular stuff? Like, is it just going to come to a point where we can just drop these in rather quickly because it's all modular and you know it doesn't have to be built all the kind of old style, like the stick build?
1: Yeah, I, I would say we're still um, in the very early stages why, of why that. Why is that? I think there's a few reasons. Because one is because, um, you know, it's great having a controlled environment like a factory where you can build them and basically just kind of come off the factory floor mm-hmm. like, a, like a car. But unlike a car, you don't just, you know, a car, you just park it on the driveway. With a house, you can't just, you know, plop it into the ground as a lot of people envision it's going to be, right? You have to ensure that it connects, you know, you have a proper foundation, you have proper connection of services, Uh, You have to crane this thing in. You have to have local knowledge. So it's still cheaper to build it from the ground up. In in many cases, when we're we're running the pro formas, it seems like it's still cheaper for on-site stick built. And there's more contractors, so there's more more competition. Like right now, there's Mm, actually a lot of framers available. Got it. So there's there's still that, right? Um, I feel like in time, in a couple years, possibly, you're going to get... Because of the demand of these, there's going to be more facilities being built in different locations. So there's going to be lower transport costs because there's really only, you know, a handful of builders uh, with very limited size facilities that have this. But I think you're going to start
0: seeing investment in that. You're going to start seeing more. I think so, too. I can tell you uh, tons of builders. We know some of them really high custom home builders, others. as well are all pushing into this market. Yeah. Like many of them who have never entered this all see this as an opportunity in the greater Toronto area Mm -hmm. that they want to dedicate the next decade of work to. So I feel like it's going to get super competitive, which is, good because there's just more options Mm -hmm. and it should control some of the pricing that we see from contractors to build these things out. So I think it's a positive that we're going to see a rush of people into this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks that are really um, looking into the manufacturing space. If there's any builders out there listening or or contractors out there listening, I think that a huge opportunity is if you could be that local person to build the foundations and, and, and be a specialist in the service connections, because there's a lot of Uh, juggling with various, uh, you know, utility, utility, like you have to, you know, it's not like just the city. You have to deal with the city. You have to deal with the, the the electrical company. You have to deal with Enbridge. You you have to deal with the water department, engineering departments, right? So if there, if there's something that you can specialize in and know that market, I think that's going to be huge. And then you partner with the, the actual manufacturers of the, the units at the, at the factory. And then that's like 50% of it. Um, I think that's huge. That's so, uh, that's not something I'm going to get into. So I'm encouraging. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> wondering, Andy, why don't you? Do,
0: but people right now are hiring yeah. you for the design component, right? Like to walk them through the permitting and design. Is that correct? Fair? Yeah.
1: So we're doing the, uh, you know, we're we're looking at the site, you know, holistically and saying, you know, what can you do with the existing house, um, and then building these garden suites, these garage conversions. Mm-hmm. We're helping them with the permits and kind of navigating that, getting them all ready. and then basically they work with the contractor and you know we kind of coach
0: them through the process. Mm-hmm. And I guess some people just think if I already have the structure and I want to move it, have you craned any? No, but I guess you can't move it and get the grandfathered in on setbacks from the lots and stuff. I was just thinking if somebody has a beautiful garage, but they want to move it somewhere else on the lot, that's a nightmare because I was just thinking you could probably get a crane, lift it, add even a story to it if it's allowed. You can do a lot of wonderful things. But I guess to get grandfathering on setbacks of this thing, you kind of have to leave the garage where it is. Otherwise, yeah, it's considered yeah. a new build, so it doesn't really work. Yeah.
1: You can always get a minor variance and ask for special permission. Like if, let's say, you have a garage there that's in good shape, you know, a nice concrete garage, and you want to add another story to it, even though that second story is not going to be grandfathered in, I think it's a very you know, a good environment to go to the city and say, hey, I want to build a, an extra couple of bedrooms. And usually they'll allow it as long as you kind of make sure that, you know, you're in line with the
0: bylaws and in, in line with the, the official plan of the city. Well, who's the easiest municipality to work with right now?
1: I would say that, uh, you know, in terms of progressiveness. Chinese. Yeah. Yeah, like... You know, Toronto, you know, being a very high-density city. Oh, really, yeah? Um, okay. You know, although, you know, it's such a big city that, you know, they, they're backlogged with so many different things, right? But, you know, Hamilton, Kitchener, Guelph, okay, so Brantford. All, uh, yeah, a lot of the cities that you guys, your clients okay. work with,
0: you know, it's 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 pretty good. Okay any that are struggling that you want to name or you'd rather not go on record and name any. You mentioned the good ones. You mentioned the good ones. Okay. Let's let's stay
1: positive. (laughs) Okay. And
0: then then I guess, so if this is our future, I guess people are just going to be living in smaller space. Like, I mean the idea of a family in Canada, just trying to extrapolate where Canada's headed here. The idea of, of, of people finishing school, getting their own house on their own lots, kind of like going away. I just feel like that's gone. Like Mm -hmm. this whole idea of the Mississauga suburban house, you know, or the Scarborough suburban house or the Markham suburban house. I guess like these communities still exist, but they're just going to morph over time. Like I feel like the the community that my parents are in, I don't know, it's like 2,800 square foot house on a big lot, walkout basement. That era is kind of gone.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to compare it. I'm going to use the analogy of this thing here that you kind of like this Bitcoin thing, Right. Okay, so early on, maybe Wait, even- Wait, I like that thing? Yeah. This, you, oh my gosh, okay. do I talk right. about that yeah. sometimes? Sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, like some people were able to get one Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Even today, you know, yeah. some people might be able to get one Bitcoin, yeah. but it's probably tougher and tougher in the next four years, people probably won't be able to get one Bitcoin. So I think of it like, compare
0: like it like, like a house, right? I like where you're headed. I see it.
1: Right. So, you know, maybe in four years, maybe in 10 years, people will be okay with Point one, yeah. point 0.5 of a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and I think with houses, um, it's really you know people are adaptable, and you know the 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 thing that you see here in North America is uh, you know we grew up with this thing where it's like you know we were told to get a good job, we're going to be able to afford a house. Mm-hmm. There's people in other parts of the world where you know they're all they all they want is a roof over the head, and if that means a government subsidized condo with one bedroom like in Hong Kong. They're happy with that because that will allow them to have a family. That will allow them to have mm. you know two kids, even though their kids are gonna be sharing a bedroom or whatever, right? Or or you know, somebody's gonna be living sleeping in the living room. That's just the reality for a lot of people. And I think that in North America, we are accustomed to a lot of space and we expect that everyone, you know, mm-hmm. some people are saying I'm never gonna have a family because I can't get a house. Mm-hmm. I think that well It's going you know, away. People are going to be okay you know what i'm not going to be able to live in a house but i'll still have a family in a condo or i'll have a family in one section of a house right and then you also have a lot of people that said well why is why do we need that in canada i mean it's such a huge land the majority of canada is not habitable right we know that and also we know that suburban sprawl is something that's not financially feasible so although they're still going to be continued you know we're going to continue to have new construction it's not going to be the same way that it used to be where you can actually just Basically, manufacture a bunch of two thousand, three thousand square foot yeah, homes across you know, you yeah. know suburban landscape, and people are going to to be able to afford it. So, you know, there's going to be some of that, but there's also going to be creative housing solutions within the existing urban boundaries that people are going to become accustomed to. Especially a lot of the immigrants, they're coming from places where they're used to having multi generations in one structure or they're totally. used to living in, you know, 600 square feet, that they'd be totally fine with that, right? So I
0: think that's- almost like a trend. generational thing. I think you're bang on because I feel like the millennials are the first generation that kind of got slapped around and said, hey, this thing that you were told or you expected, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And maybe the next generation- um, after them, same thing. So the, everyone who's in university right now, and those ones kind of graduating through, I think they already have different expectations where they're walking into adulthood, not expecting already to be able to get their own single family home. So you got to think that the next generation, the ones who are maybe, you know, just being born right now or five and under, or whatever the years line up to you for that next generation, mm-hmm. they're going to have the expectations that you just outlined. Like, Oh, it's totally normal to have a smaller space you know, rightly or right. It might look wrong to someone like me and my generation, but to them, that's what the expectations are. And that is the norm and it's culturally accepted isn't and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We're just in this transition period. And it's funny because somehow that Sometimes I can see that it would upset me because I'm like, holy shit, you know, this shouldn't be this way. But sometimes these cities just operate like this. Daniel Foch brought up a really good thing when he was on the podcast here and he said, hey, Switzerland's a country that a lot of people would typically think is a success story. And a lot of people would like to live. And half the people in that country rent. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about it before. And it's just culturally accepted in there to rent. Um, A couple other people have brought up that point. So I just feel like as long as my money is not being debased, Mm -hmm. then I'm willing to entertain conversations of in, you know, how a city should be structured and how we should live and the size. Mm -hmm. I just hate if we're associating the inability of a younger generation to buy a property because of debasement of currency. That's where I lose my shit. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm like against everything. Mm -hmm. But if we can have a currency or a money like a Bitcoin that doesn't get debased, and we also have to have like more density in some cities to make them livable, I'm all I, I could accept that. Right. I think where I was against it before, if I reflect on myself, was that I was associating smaller living spaces purely with the debasement of the currency, and it's basically a scam, and that people can't save up, mm-hmm. and that's why they can't buy these places. But there could be an argument for just the absolute need of um, growing populations, having smaller spaces to live, I guess.
1: Yeah. Like if you if you had it a situation where um, it wasn't because of, you know, the, the basement that we talked about, right? Like, you know, that rabbit hole that we dive deep mm-hmm. into, but it's because people want to live in the environments where, yes, it's smaller, but they have access to the daily living that they want to. And they're okay with Living in a smaller space, right? So you you earlier you talked about how when you're in Europe, you're in Spain or when you're in Croatia, you mm-hmm. can you know just go downstairs and you have access to a. It's market, awesome, yeah. Right, like it's it's. There's a fish market. There's a fruit market. Yeah, or you'll bump into someone that you you know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Are you gonna bump into someone on the QW? And <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the upper middle road on yeah, Trafalgar, Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like like when when I go to Asia, you know, we'll stay in um, you know in a hotel or we'll stay in Airbnb where. Um, We'll, uh, uh, you know, we'll go downstairs, there's a restaurant, there's a supermarket, um, there's even like public services. And if I wanna go across town, I'll hop in the subway. So like, yeah. it never even occurs to me that I'm gonna rent a vehicle. Mm. But if I'm traveling within Canada or US, it's like, I gotta go after airport, I gotta go straight rent to a car. budget, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. Like, you know, and, and also here we've been, because of the lack of housing, you know, housing's been financialized, right? Whereas when you have markets where, Um, you know, houses don't go up, you know, 10% a year, year over year, it just becomes a commodity. It comes, becomes what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. which is basically a roof over your head, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in Japan as well. And there the market goes, the real estate market goes nowhere. Even though interest rates have been zero for 30 (laughs) years, it's because their zoning is federal, like their house, um, uh, their zoning is federally zoned. So they don't have municipal zoning. So it's basically the federal government that says that, like where things get built. And you can basically, if you have a small plot of land, you can go and you can get, you can build housing. So for them, it's really housing is just a commodity, it's just a roof over your head. And you could argue that, hey, why would you know the real estate market there is messed up? There's no appreciation. But you you can also make the argument, well, well maybe you shouldn't be investing in real estate there. Maybe it should should be just a house there, right? And so uh, I I see that you know with some of these new changes in new new policy, ultimately it's going to come to the point where. Um, if enough people get involved and do it, housing is going to be what it's supposed to be, which is a commodity, and it's not necessarily going to go up 10% a year over year. Which I think that's a good fine. thing. That's yeah. a good thing. Like, yeah. people can, can afford a place to live, right? Yes. Now, again, you're not going like, to... Most people aren't going to be able to own a whole house,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? But if they have...
0: But if know, we had that world and we had a money that went up in value over time... I'm all for it because if somebody works hard and saves, they'll still be able to buy whatever house they want. Yep. But right now we're unfortunately in a world where we have these pre- this pressure on housing because of population growth and not enough housing. And we have a debasement of currency that doesn't allow people to save properly. So everybody's turning into a speculative investor mm-hmm. and it's just a shit show. Yep. So I actually don't mind a world that you're describing where housing becomes a commodity. Mm-hmm. We need to fix the money for that to work. And the sooner we fix the money, uh, who am I kidding? I don't know. What I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, but well, at, at least there's a, a, an opportunity. What, and I know um, we don't have to dive deep into this angle, but I'm just curious, what caught your attention on on, on Bitcoin? Because you're you you you're aware of it. What just caught your attention on it? Was just because it's a form of money? Or going down that rabbit hole? No, we just. I'm just <laughs> curious, like what caught your attention on it? Of the, it, it? Was it because you understood gold? And then you're like, oh, there's some properties and characteristics of this that are kind yeah, of similar I, to gold?
1: I, I look at it. I look at... Uh, Bitcoin the same way I I looked at gold in that it had all the attributes of a sound money and just like you I believe that for us you know all the problems that we have right now I think it really comes down to the foundation and mm-hmm. you know the the um, the analogy that I like to give people because I'm you know in housing and construction I would say that if let's say you you know you're in a house and the door is kind of wonky and it's crooked. You know, you can argue all day long that is it the guy the window installer or the door installer or is it the framer or the trim guy? But if the foundation is off, it doesn't matter what you do on the you know the main of the house, right? You're screwed. So I, I see all the problems that we have right now with with our housing crisis. Everyone's pointing fingers. Oh, it's the investors. They're, it's because they're investing and they're causing all the prices to go up. Oh, you know, it's 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 these people that you know like these socialists or these these capitalists and all that. And, and I think it really comes down to you know, there's no. it it all comes down to the foundation of the economy and that's where i see like you know a bitcoin or some other sound money as something that potentially in the long term that can fix these problems And, and you're right like if you can if people can if we can kind of fix the foundation and over time people can decide hey i want to save money or i don't want to save money i want to spend my money on frappuccinos every day and I'm be. going to be okay renting, yeah. that's fine, that's fine. Yes. But if I want to save money and I can afford to buy the single family home and I don't have any neighbors around me, but if you can afford to do that, that's great. I don't want to dictate and say to everyone that you must have a house that is, uh, you know, can't be a single family home. If it's your property and you want a single family home, who's to say that you, you, you can't have that, mm-hmm. right? The problem is we have the other thing where people have single family homes and they're telling other people that you can't build multi-units. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the whole, the NIMBY thing, right? But on the extreme side is, you know, cause I go to these urban planning like, oh, conferences God. and things like that, right? They're, they're saying, not only are they saying no single family zoning, they don't even want people to build single family homes. And I'm also oh, against wow. that. Yeah. So I'm against both extremes. I'm saying, if it's your piece of land,
0: do whatever you want with it, right? Like, yeah, so you believe in property rights, basically. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, It's pretty basic. Yeah, this is my property. Let me do with it as I please. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned Malaysia and Japan. What are some other things you notice? Because the housing one's really powerful. When you think of housing and you mentioned there, it's kind of just more like a commodity as it should be here. Mm-hmm. What about things like, are you noticing any differences over there compared to here with education or healthcare that come to mind? Like when you travel yeah. to Malaysia or you yeah. travel to Japan, Yeah. What, what else are you seeing that's rather interesting that you like or don't like?
1: They, they both have, uh, let's talk about, you want to talk about healthcare? Sure. Okay. Uh, so they both have public and private healthcare.
0: Huh. So, you know, I didn't even know that about both of them. Yeah. So there's a public, if I need to healthcare, I can find it. Yeah. But you can pay for more expedient service if you want it.
1: Yeah. So here in Canada, we have, uh, there's a couple of companies, I think one is the Cleveland Clinic and then there was the other one. MedCan. MedCan, where, where I guess you can sort of.
0: Pay to you to can I think they just do I had to I went to Medcan like ten years ago yeah. and I think it was just like for a general checkup yeah and they would do everything mm-hmm. they did I think they did VO two max testing on me they check your blood your you know your your eyes your hearing the whole bit but then if you needed anything beyond that they would outsource you not outsource you refer you back into the um, I was gonna say OHIP, but like the Canadian healthcare system. So yeah. they would do a little bit. You could pay for a little bit of like a private service.
1: Yeah. So in Japan uh, and and in, in Malaysia, there's there's uh, uh, basically private healthcare where you can get a lot of the stuff that you explained. You know, you can get a lot of the tests. You can get a lot of blood work done. Uh, you know, you can get, you know, ultrasounds. You can get, you know, mm-hmm. health things like VO2 max that aren't necessarily going to be available on the public side here. And you can get all that stuff done in like one day at a fraction of the cost compared to, say, a company in the U.S. And, you know... Obviously, in Japan, there's going to be, um, you know, the doctors that are well-trained that's going to kind of run that for you and run all those tests for you. And you're able to get that done at, at a pretty pretty good cost. Um, I haven't done it, but my wife, you know, being she's from Japan, but she doesn't get the, you know, public health care because she's, so, she's yeah, a resident she's,
0: here now. She can pay for it.
1: Yeah, she can pay for it. It's relatively inexpensive. Um, I'm going to go to Malaysia and I'm going to do, you know, the, the, the tests like the for my age to, you know. Yeah, why Why not? Why not? Yeah, and it's it's like four hundred. I love bucks, that shit. Four hundred yeah. bucks, and it's gonna be a day, and it's you know they're gonna.
0: You know, they're gonna treat you well and they're gonna Yeah, you're going to the yeah, yeah. you're going to the Mr. Lube for the human body. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lube. Okay, yeah. Like, I remember when you go to Mr. Lube and you get that car? I don't know if you ever did, but when I, you know, when I had my first Jiffy, car, I went to, to Jiffy Lube. Jiffy, and yeah, yeah. you can get that printout of yeah. all the different fluids in your car and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. why don't we get that when we go to the doctor? Like, we don't even get the basic yeah. printout of like, hey, here's your thyroid, here's your blood work, here's all these different markers. Yeah. We don't even get that. And then anytime I have asked for that from a Canadian doctor, I get like this. It looks like a dot matrix printer, even though it's the year 2023, of just some gray text on some stuff that I'm like, I can't even read what this yeah. says. It's just a total disaster. How the heck can our healthcare be so far behind? This is ludicrous. Nick and I were going to a meeting in the U.S., and I think it was Wellness FX, And you can go to this portal, and even as a Canadian, you can sign up for blood work analysis. And they would just print you a requisition. And I think we drove, we're driving to Ohio, but we stopped in Pennsylvania and we mm-hmm. had our blood taken. And by the time we came home, we logged into this portal and all our blood work markers were up there beautifully with different explanations next to each marker. I'm like, I think it cost us like $99. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's definitely yeah, not heard of. It? the jiffy lube of- It was great. <laughs> I felt like a jiffy lube. I felt like yeah, a jiffy. I'm like, I walked uh, into this random and they just send you to like any one of these blood clinics all scattered through the yes that you want to go to. And you would just walk in with this requisition. We should do it again, actually. We did it a couple times. And uh, by the time we got home, we got this awesome website. I don't know we ha- why we haven't not continued doing that. But I just feel like we're so far behind here. Having said that, I do think Life Labs here and the other one, the competitor to Life Labs, who I always forget, I think they have some portals now. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, they're they're pretty good. Like Yeah, you know, I somebody I mean, was showing me go, one. So I think the there are some stuff. online. Yeah, that's, so maybe we're finally yeah. getting there. Yeah. I just feel like we're so far behind in this country. Like, what the hell is going on? And I also feel with all our immigration, we must have so many amazing doctors that are not allowed to practice here. Yeah. They're probably perfectly well trained. Mm-hmm. Like there must be just some little AI type quiz we can give them to give them a thumbs up and say hey better than some of the doctors that I've been exposed to or just AI maybe just AI <laughs> holy shit I was we were talking about that a little bit with AI and uh, have you seen that AI which one is it it's is it Google's one that was just coming online or something I think it was and it's it's basically a video and the AI is looking through the camera and you're drawing a picture and it will then talk to you about what you're drawing so as you draw a duck it won't uh, at first it'll just say oh you're driving drawing some like curvy lines but as you start to form the lines together to begin to look like a duck the ai AI will say oh you're drawing a duck and then if you uh, you draw it in blue it'll say well it's a blue duck have you seen that demo yet i haven't no okay so this got me thinking i'm like oh my gosh was physiotherapy like i've had shoulder issues i've had achilles issues and stuff with physiotherapy if you have an issue and you can go in front of a camera and just move your shoulder, like for the longest time, I kind of tweaked my, my rotator cuff and I couldn't raise my shoulder above my arm. And there's a pretty standard set of exercises that you do over the few months to kind of heal that rotator cuff movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, wow, with AI, can I just start like a Zoom pretty soon and just show the lack of range of motion that I have? And the AI through Zoom will just tell me, oh, you have this rotator cuff issue. Do these exercises and come back every day and show me your range of motion and I'll keep tweaking the protocol to fix it. And I was like, this this doesn't feel like that far away.
1: Yeah. Like you know how when you go physio and they'll they'll press something and they're like does it hurt this way does it yeah. hurt? like they'll probably tell you okay can
0: you press this yeah and they're like does it hurt rate it you- <laughs> from one to ten yeah. yeah 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 I feel like we're almost there and then if I could put the blood work if I could just go to any clinic like a Life Labs here and throw in some mm-hmm. blood work mm-hmm. how close are we to AI just being able to spit back and say hey Andy seeing you've been eating some sugar there for a few months man you're, you, <laughs> you you got you, you, <laughs> you got to start cutting this out but I mean it, we must <laughs> be getting pretty close. And then I guess it just comes down to which AI do you trust? Like, do you want the Google AI to do that? Or is it an AI that like some doctor that is some influencer that you actually trust comes out with his or her version of an AI that you're like, I will accept that AI's interpretation. Like, I wonder if we're walking into a world where it's not just a general AI. It's all these little AIs all over the place. And some are tweaked for different specialties that you trust and you go to them. And it just... Feel like we're so close to this. You, anyway, you got to see this Google uh, demo. Like it's f- kind of freaky when you see that happening. I'll check it out. Every time I see something new in AI, I get freaked out and think about like think when, when it's good. I think some good. Yeah, I know. I think some good. There was an AI that said that they wanted to be paid or they were. It, they were. It was capable. They had a Bitcoin wallet, and for their services, you could pay them in Bitcoin, and that froze me for a sec because I I saw I thought, holy shit. Now we have an AI that if it's good at something and it gets paid in Bitcoin, it starts accumulating capital. It can then go rent an apartment, you know, buy an apartment building with that capital. Mm-hmm. And then people can rent those apartments. And now we are in a world where your landlord is AI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm
1: like,
0: Holy well, what if, well, and what happens? That AI never dies. Yeah. So does it just keep accumulating capital? Like, where does this end?
1: So what if that AI uses Bitcoin to buy a vehicle and because you don't need drivers anymore, it, it self-drives and you just pay that AI the Bitcoin. And then over, over time, like, it just
0: keeps accumulating sats and like, I don't know. <laughs> and then if there's like, who owns that AI? And if the AI never dies, how much capital does this AI accumulate over time? Like, I don't get it. You know, in South Korea, there is a company already for years now with an artificial intelligence algorithm has a full seat on the board of this company and makes investment decisions. Did you know that? I did. Like one seat on the board is officially the opinion of this AI. Yeah, I should dig it up again. It's a South Korean company. Oh, Google. This was like years ago. So where the heck are we headed? Especially, you know, if you're telling me you can go to Malaysia and get something for like a lot cheaper. I wonder if we're just like 12 months away from even that model being blown up where it's like, well, you don't even have to go to, you know, Malaysia. Screw it. It's right here. Yeah. Go give your blood down, you know, at the clinic. Upload it into this website. The Mm -hmm. AI is going to tell you what you need to eat and what vitamins you need to take and how screwed up you are. Mm -hmm. Game over. Fuck. Where are we headed? Yeah, this is a little messed up. Especially if it starts accumulating capital, man. It's like, where's the... Because I just don't understand when a a corporate... I guess corporations have capital and last for generations. You know, you could look at Coca-Cola or Kellogg's or whatever. But now you have these new entities. It's a little fucking freaky, man. I don't understand how this works. (laughs) I just... uh, I, I guess there's a lot of positive that comes from it, too. But you're right. If the AI has a fleet of cars... What happens if it starts ramming those cars into each other, Andy? Is, do you, have you seen that Netflix show? Sorry, now Andy's looking at me. For anyone listening, Andy's looking at me like, Tom, what what rabbit hole are you going down here? But no, I, it's like like it's see, a I like freaky. to see the this whole thought process just evolve. <laughs> as you're speaking. <laughs> well, it's just it's just wild because oh, yeah. I guess really you could have a kid whose best friend is going to become AI. Because I could see in the future, like we have all have had kids where a TV show has become their best friend like... You know, all kids will play a TV show or, you know, when they were younger and that TV show, like basically raises them over time because they watch so many episodes of just some random cartoon or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then they graduate from that into Roblox or Minecraft. So what happens if these kids go into Minecraft and there's literally some AI in this Minecraft where they get to be a friend and the Minecraft AI can jump out of Minecraft and have the same personality and knowledge of that person But now in the next iteration of the game, when they're playing a more advanced game on PS5, and it's this person that kind of grows up with them and this AI becomes their friend for years. And does that AI then get enough knowledge where it can be also their doctor when they're older? Like, are we entering a world where AI is going to be like this weird friend you have for your lifetime?
1: Yeah. It's kind of fucked up. There's this thing, there's this thing, uh, there's this phrase in Japan called hikikomori. It's like okay. um, mostly men that don't go out of their house. And... Um, the AI is their friend? So basically there's, I think I watched a video where there's these guys that actually, you know, have this AI girlfriend. And they actually even, I think there's some, something where they even marry their AI girlfriend. This is today? Yeah, yeah. You got. You can kind of search it up on YouTube. So... <laughs> It seems like there's a demand for that kind of stuff, and if that's the case, then there's going to be a certain segment
0: of the population that is just yes, you know why not?
1: If I can marry a human, why can't I marry
0: a a robot? Yeah, doesn't give me crap, (laughs) says everything makes me happy, you know. You sold me on that. No, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, but like you could see that shit. Oh God, And, and to me, it's 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 like then the AIs really become the center of some economic activity. It's like you enter the matrix slowly over time because the humans just become plugged into this greater intelligence where the humans aren't the intelligence anymore. And the AI is the intelligence and the AI has the capital. Fuck. Like, I don't understand how we don't get into that world. Like it just feels almost inevitable. And I know there's a lot of good, like if we can get access to everybody to get access to a doctor, to analyze their blood work Mm -hmm. and do it on the cheap, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like with technology to Jeff Booth's point, that's coming. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be able to get advanced diagnosis from the most specialist type, you know, medical person via AI at our laptops in an instance notice. And that's got to be coming. Like that must be coming very soon. Someone's likely working on that today. Let's face it. Mm So that part's great. It's just this evolution of AI that becomes people's friends and then starts accumulating capital. I don't know, I just can't. Uh, yeah, I know I'm yeah. down a weird rabbit hole. I've taken I've taken this podcast <laughs> down a weird rabbit hole, Andy, but it's just, uh, it's kind of fascinating. It seems to like out. the
1: trend, I mean, that's the trend. The, the part that I have difficulty reconciling um, is, how does that relate to private property? If Bitcoin is the ultimate private property because mm-hmm. you own your private keys, and nobody can take them from you, right? not even AI like if you had sure, if you had whatever a twelve seed or twenty four seat there's nothing that can actually take that away. so if AI actually wanted that capital and they don't have it, do they have and if that is the ultimate private property, do they have full control? so I don't know how to reconcile that
0: right because once they if they earn some Bitcoin from me, yeah, because they've given me some service yeah. I will give them some Bitcoin in exchange for the value they've offered me just like a free market would. But you would want it. You would have to
1: want it first. If you don't want it, because you don't need it. Because of just, uh, as Jeff Booth says, everything falls to the marginal cost of production. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need that AI because there's another AI that could okay, be cheaper or better. It, got it. Good
0: point. Good point. Right? So, if so you're not
1: going to want to give up your private property for that thing. I have the
0: ultimate private property, which in this example would be Bitcoin, and yep. I don't need to give it up in exchange for something because the 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 price or the cost of getting what I need is going to drop to such a low amount that I can maintain the majority of my private property, my value, my purchasing power. But over time I would think that it doesn't matter, even small increments, some of these AIs are gonna get some some capital. But I see your point. I see your point. It's a good point. Yeah, that it'll just get so inexpensive. Huh. So then can we make medical care so inexpensive that it's almost just free?
1: I think that's the trend. I think I think, you know, ultimately if it comes down to if medical care comes down to let's say information and um I guess there's gonna be physical resources that you need as well, right? But that's gonna, that, those marginal costs are gonna come down as well. That It's just gonna keep coming lower and lower. As with every, every valuable thing for most people, like, you know, we talk a lot about housing, right? So if robotics can build more housing and do more, you know, whatever, repair existing homes and provide more housing, ultimately the, the costs are gonna come down.
0: So the costs come down. You're right, because I agree with you. Absolutely. The costs come down, but our current financial system still needs the GDP to go up to pay for all the old debt that's in the system. So we're really at a crossroads of two worlds. One world, debt-ridden, has to be more debt for it to survive without collapse. New world, costs go down, everything falls to the marginal cost of production, which is basically with technology, zero, Mm -hmm. kind of quote Jeff Booth, summarize some of his thoughts. So we're at this weird crossroads where one financial world is in the process of going to just collapsing slow death. So maybe that one world just slowly dies and another world is emerging. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I think we are at a nice crossroads just to kind of bring it home to what you're doing in real estate. I do feel the combination of real estate. And if somebody is open minded enough to think about some stuff, a bit Bitcoin, it does put you in kind of the driver's seat of both worlds because real estate. I've always thought allows me to play as a central banker, even though I'm not one. It's the only way an average Canadian can create new money. You sign a mortgage, you created the money, you refinance the property, you create new money. It's the only way Canadians can really do that. And real estate allows you to do that. So it kind of allows you to maximize the benefits, if you want to call them that, of an old world. And Bitcoin allows you to measure the productivity gains in the new world because in relation to the quote unquote fiat price of your Bitcoin, everything's going to fall in price. So it's it's that to me, and that's why I think I get excited about that combo, like a real estate Mm -hmm. combo with some Bitcoin in your life to me feels like the magical combo. It feels like the right way to live life on your terms over the next few years. And, you know, you can ratio that to your liking. You can do 1% Bitcoin, 99% real estate. Or you know have whatever your diversified portfolio would be, or you can go much higher into Bitcoin if you have more conviction and have much less in the old world. But it does feel like a nice ability to kind of play with those two things. Um, anyway, Andy. So we we uh, we kind of went all uh, we 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 started with garage conversions, ADUs, and we ended off with AI <laughs> and the marginal cost hey, of production. We, we went into this and in saying let's not have an agenda
1: because every time I come here, we talk we talk. You know, I think, I think it's a little bit of a snooze fest because I keep talking about no, how it's the not, second no, the stuff. but today, but today I think, I think this is uh
0: no, no, stuff, this stuff It's good. never. And just so you know, for me, it's never a snooze fest because you, it's a snooze fest for you because you're maybe so used to talking about. No, th- I can talk about and, that all day. Yeah, yeah. That stuff is kind of the world. And listen, look at the impact that you're having on investors' lives. If you can introduce on a garage conversion, let's say you're getting 1500 to 2000 or 2200 on a new garage conversion ADU. Look what that can do to somebody's family. You have one property that maybe with higher interest rates is negative cash flow. You bring one of these things into the fold on a property, you can be back to positive cash flow, maybe $1,000 a month. So what you're bringing to to life here for people, I feel like is the future. Mm -hmm. Like this is it. I feel like you're in such a sweet spot and you're serving people. So, Andy, it's never a snooze fest. Okay. It's never a snooze fest. In fact, you got to come back. I was just talking to you about this. You got to come back more often and give us updates about what you're seeing out there. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, where were, so? Where can people find you? What uh, your YouTube? You do great. You do a great job. Anyone listening, if you want to see some conversions in process, are you doing any videos with the garage conversions or no? We
1: did. Yeah, we. Oh, you have. Yeah. So uh, we've done probably two or three garage conversions. Okay. So videos. where can people find your content? Where's yeah? The so rate? on U- the best is probably YouTube Suite. Just Google or YouTube Suite Editions, uh, and or the website to to get a hold of us. But, and what's uh, the website? Uh, S U I T E editions dot com um
0: and then on instagram uh, I think it's sweet underscore editions. I like how nobody knows their their Instagram handle sweet <laughs> underscore editions on instagram yeah. um and then anywhere else that people can find you I would say uh, we're probably most active on
1: uh right now on uh, on YouTube and instagram uh on uh, on facebook
0: and what's well. uh, what's twenty twenty four gonna bring for Andy Tran? anything you want to talk about yet or not yet?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. So we're continuing with uh, the projects with our clients, uh, with, uh, you know, design permit work. Uh, We're going to pivot a little bit and provide more education and training for people. So one of the things, uh, one of the big initiatives for 2024 is uh, we're going to be partnering with a bunch of professionals. So people who are in this space, whether it's other designers and architects, uh, whether it's contractors, uh, realtors, lenders, everybody who wants to take advantage of the not just the you know the real estate prices, the trends in that direction, but also the policy changes uh, and uh, you know all of the uh, uh, the local changes we're seeing with the densification. I think that for the average, you know, let's say the realtor, for the average realtor to compete with all the other realtors is a little bit challenging. Obviously, you guys have a niche with investors, and it's work great. Uh, but uh, if I think if if there's any um, professionals out there that want to find a niche, I think this densification space is actually a really good niche Agreed. I think whether Agreed. you're a homeowner investor, if they can say, hey, I want to work with a realtor that understands this stuff, uh, I think you're going to be a little bit more at a competitive advantage. You're the elevating owners. the conversation for yeah. sure. Yeah. So we're, we're looking to, uh, to partner with those people. And I think that uh, if anybody's interested, reach out to us. And uh, I would say the first thing is we want them to be educated. So we do have those programs available Uh, we have obviously a lot of free material, even if somebody, you know, didn't take any of our educational material, but just went through all of our
0: YouTube videos. We feel that your YouTube videos are
1: tough. Yeah. We feel like they, they would get, uh, you know, even that they would
0: get an, and you send out an an email with links to your YouTube videos fairly regularly. Yeah. I try to do it weekly. Okay. So you get on that list by going to sweeteditions.com. Is there an option to put in your
1: email address? Yeah. Just go subscribe and then you can put in your email address. You'll get a bunch of guides to talk that talk basically discusses everything that we talked about today with garden suites and second suites and all that stuff. You'll get my
0: weekly spam. And Mm, uh, and from there you can kind of decide if you want to dig deeper into the rabbit hole. Awesome. Thanks, Andy Tran. Appreciate this, man. Really thank appreciate you. you coming by. Thank you for supporting us the way you have. Thank you. You've taught a class here, I don't know, for how many years. And the knowledge that you're sharing back and the feedback that we get on that class from Rockstar and our circle members, thank you for what you do there. Um, yeah, really pleasure. Just feel, I love
1: doing that. It's great. Yeah, okay. feel
0: blessed to cross paths, man. Thanks, you. Thank, Likewise. Thanks, you. I can't even speak. Thank you. <laughs> Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Andy. You can check him out via his website at sweeteditions.com or you can ch- uh, check him out on Instagram. We'll have his Instagram handle on the show notes. It's at sweet underscore editions and we'll link to both of those, th- both of those things um, on the show notes of this particular episode. And if you wanna check out Andy's class and some of the benefits that you get as, of becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for this particular episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.